This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. ER Vet is brought to you by Carnivora. Get healthy and stay healthy with nature's nutritional powerhouse. Welcome to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Justine Lee, and I'm an emergency critical care veterinary specialist and toxicologist. Thanks for joining us today. Today, we're going to be talking about a special topic that I absolutely love, and it's those gray muzzled dogs and those geriatric or older cats. We're going to be talking with Dr. Mary Gardner, and we'll be right back after these messages. Hi, this is Deborah Lau, president of Carnivore Research International. Did you know that people have used Carnivore for their pets successfully for a wide range of immune challenges for many decades? Here are Carnivore clients sharing their pet's testimonial. Our little dog developed this lymph problem. We took him in for surgery last year. We noticed a lump on his chest that was a lymph node that was swelled up. So the doctor checked it out and had it analyzed and everything. And uh, but the chemotherapy lasted for six months. He started developing more uh, lymph nodes that were swelled up. So I thought I'd just try carnivore. We started that and uh, he really responded. The lymph nodes started to go down, swelling did. Then I took him into the vet to have him checked out and there was no sign of any disease at all inside in the internal organs at all. Call 866-836-8735. That's 866-836-8735 or visit carnivore.com. That's C-A-R-N-I-V-O-R-A.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. Really excited to speak with Dr. Mary Gardner, who's the co-founder of Lap of Love Veterinary Hospice. Dr. Gardner, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me and talking about my favorite topic too. Exactly. So that's why I wanted to reach out because I think a lot of us have older pets and we often worry about some of the underlying diseases that senior dogs and cats can get. But before we begin, I wanted to just have you introduce yourself. Give us a little bit of info about who you are, where you train, what you do, and how you started Lap of Love. Okay, great. So I am a University of Florida graduate in 2008 and went into general practice for about two years. And shortly after after starting in general practice, I kind of just felt like there was something different I wanted to do. Loved the clinic I was at loved the day-to-day interactions, but it was just maybe not my niche that I wanted. And my classmate and good friend, Dr. Danny McVitie was doing emergency work. And as you know, there's a lot of euthanasias that happen in emergency work, unfortunately. So she had found that that being able to provide in-home end-of-life care was really fulfilling for her. So she reached out to me because she knew that I was thinking about leaving general practice and it was something I wanted to do as well. And so it was just her in Tampa and, and I was like, heck yeah. And it's not what everybody thinks that they want to do when they're, when they're growing up, becoming a veterinarian, if you will, is end of life. But I found it really fulfilling 
rewarding. We get the best hugs and thank yous and all that, all that stuff. So I have been doing um, exclusively end of life care since 2010. And so we have now grown lap of love to close to 200 veterinarians across the country, which is, which is mind. Yeah. It's mind boggling. We helped just shy of 75,000 families last year. Wow. That is amazing. Thank you for what you do. Oh, I love it. We'll talk about lap of love in a little bit, but I first wanted to ask you a couple of questions when it comes to the term geriatric. Nobody wants to hear that they're geriatric. <laughs> when I had my uh, my baby, my human baby, they classified me as a geriatric you know, pregnancy, <laughs> which is true. It's legit. <laughs> so, But in veterinary medicine, or when we're talking about dogs and cats, what exactly does senior or geriatric mean? Oh, this is such a good question. And you know, I actually didn't know myself because I think we are trained and talk about or are even marketed towards senior. Like we always hear about senior. And I was like, well, what's really a geriatric in humans? So I, I looked into this concept in the human world and went to some geriatric human conferences. So what it really means to be a senior as a human really depends on what you think because the AARP is going to send you stuff at like 55. I got something from the AARP when I turned 47. So they're really starting early. Exactly. <laughs> and it really came to when we were going to be retired or pension or something like that. So a senior was, was not a medical term. It was more of a legal, if you will, term. Not really legal, but just a, a terminology. But geriatric was more about the medicine and how you are. It's not necessarily how old you are, but it's really how you are. So I was thinking about that with, with our pets. And in dogs, it's really very much uh, size related. So a larger breed dog is going to be a senior at five or six, like an uber large dog, five or six, where a chihuahua may not be senior until he's 12, but it's usually the double digits, let's say. However, I realized that just because when you or I one day turn 55 <laughs> and we're considered senior citizens, but we're still active and healthy and maybe some minor aches and pains, but nothing too bad. We're not uh, difficult to care for, but there's going to become a time in our life where it requires a lot of care. And that usually happens the last 10% of the lifespan of a human. So they're la- let's say if we're going to all make it to hundred for easy math, our nineties, we were going to require someone to come in cook for us, clean for it, clean us, move us, things like that. And that's what happens with their geriatric pets too, is that their last 10% of their life, the caregiving just takes over. And the problems that they have when they're maybe a nine-year-old lab seems like nothing compared to a 12-year-old lab. (laughs) So it's just the way they are, the the aging process and how much care we need to provide for these geriatrics. Just something something different about a 12-year-old lab versus a nine-year-old lab. Absolutely. We're probably a similar age. I'm, I'm in my late forties and I joke, uh, you know, fifties are the new forties, yes. but I will also say the wheels fall off the bus at like 40. <laughs> so <laughs> right. you definitely uh, wake up more sore with, you know, with creaks and, and aches oh, you never yeah. realized you had before. So what about cats when it comes to geriatric? Okay. Good question. So the cats, because they're typically the same size, we consider them senior, probably, you know, 11 or 12 and geriatric, probably when they're 14 or 14 or 15. And this is, of course, in the absence of, of, a, of a true disease, let's say that they've been diagnosed, because we know that some of these diseases age us faster, let's say, for lack of a better word. So if you've got, you know, unmanageable diabetes or, you know, Cushing's or cancer or something like that, you, you know, the care starts to get heavier early on. But 
you know, just a regular old dog or cat kind of ticking around can make it to their super, super seniors, double digits. These cats, I don't know what my oldest cat I ever euthanized, but it was in its twenties. It was great. I will say as a veterinarian, most veterinarians, you know, they love treating puppies and kittens. And like you, I absolutely love cantankerous, old, muscle-wasted, geriatric cats that are like, when they come in, they're really sassafras. Yeah, they're just so fun. They have a great personality. So (laughs) great information. And I think this is important because again, like Dr. Gardner said, if you have a great Dane that's five, you may not think it's geriatric, but unfortunately, the larger the breed is, the shorter the lifespan. And really important to keep in mind, I will also say that, you know, we at ER Vet, we always talk about preventative medicine. And I always recommend as your pet becomes middle-aged to geriatric, I actually want you to talk to your veterinarian about instead of doing vaccines that year, you still want to go in for a physical exam. But one, I want you to go in twice a year, so every six months. And two, I want you to actually do routine blood work or more advanced screening instead of those vaccines, because we know that we'll see certain diseases, which leads me to my next point, Dr. Gardner, what are some of the biggest issues that you see geriatric pets have to deal with? Okay. So I always thought when we started Lap of Love that we would see a lot more cats because cats don't like to travel. And like you said, they're cantankerous. They want to be at home. However, dogs are still our number one species, if you will. And it's dogs with mobility issues. That a hundred percent is hands down. The biggest issue as pets age is, is their mobility. Even the little ones that you can pick up, they just have some struggles everything from, you know, arthritis to muscle wasting, which we call sarcopenia to neurological problems where there's so many little neurological problems where their, you know, their feet aren't, aren't uh, able to, to be in the right place in space and walking on our tile and wood floors becomes the biggest challenge. And so I go to homes and the, and probably the number one product I recommend is yoga mats. <laughs> because they just are slipping and slide and then, and then they hurt more. So that's, that's my number one big one. And even in cats, they don't show that they that they're as painful as often as the dogs do. And they kind of lay in a sunbeam all day anyway, but they get arthritis just as much, um, if not more sometimes than dogs do that we just don't realize it. Yeah, I would agree. I had my first cat that I ever owned named Seamus and he lived till 19 and a half. And it wasn't until he started defecating outside of the litter box. And I had multiple litter boxes. I had appropriate, what we call kitty litter husbandry. Um, (laughs) And it wasn't until he started defecating outside of the box that I ended up starting him on a great pain medication called gabapentin. And that helped immensely. And so the signs of arthritis or pain in a cat can be really subtle. So little things like being a little bit slower to jump up, having hesitation to get into the litter box, having these fecal accidents outside. So when in doubt, please talk to your veterinarian because I know some studies have shown that over 50% of x-rays of cats that are middle age show that they have arthritis. So really important that we be aware, yes, we're used to arthritis in dogs, but we really have to recognize it in cats. The grooming cats love to groom and when they can't reach back there or it hurts, they don't want to, they don't want to groom. So that's another little thing that people forget to look at. They're looking a little scrappy. Yeah. (laughs) And sometimes matted, right? Yes. All right. What are some other issues that you see? All right. So we see a lot of mild things like decrease in vision and that just happens. It happens because of true disease and also just age, age age-related changes. So the, the grain of the eyes, the nuclear sclerosis, 
So not necessarily cataracts, but just decreased vision and hearing. And that I always want to talk about safety. So that way, if you have, for instance, an in-ground pool to make sure that they're safe, if there's spots in the house, they can get stuck and then they get nervous. And also if you combine one of those problems with pain and you've got, let's say a a toddler or young child that, that approaches that dog or cat that can't hear or see well, and they pet them, they can, you know, I see that a lot of them getting snippy because they're not prepared for that person to be touching them. And then they're hyper, they're hypersensitive. And then the other big one, which, oh boy, is so just, it breaks my heart is cognitive dysfunction. And that is what people don't realize can happen so often to both our cats and dogs. We call it doggy dementia, right? Or doggy Alzheimer's, but cognitive dysfunction. And it's it's just rampant. I'm dealing with it myself, my 14-year-old girl. And and it's so frustrating because there's no cure. Yeah, agreed. We oftentimes don't talk about that, about um, cognitive dysfunction and dogs and cats. We know humans get it. My dad is battling with severe Alzheimer's and it's really, really hard whether or not it's in a two-legged or four-legged. I actually wrote a blog about this product, which I never thought I would be using, but it's called Senalife. And I wrote a blog called Using Senalife, a holistic supplement for my senile old cat. So Seamus, the 19 and a half year old cat, we were actually away where I had a veterinary student who was pet sitting and she texted me at like 2 a.m. She was like, Seamus is howling, wandering the hallways and just howling randomly. (laughs) Is something wrong? I said, oh, he normally does that. And she's like, but that's not normal. So it was actually a veterinary student who really pushed me to treating my cat for senility. And, you know, I talked to a couple of veterinary behaviors and they had recommended Senalife. You can literally just find it on Amazon. Um, And again, I have the pros and cons of it listed on my blog, but I do really encourage people to check it out. There's no feline version of it. You have to use this small dog capsule and sometimes it's hard to find. So you definitely want to check it out. But I, for my cat, just used small dog dose. It's a capsule. You just cut off the end of it. It's sort of this brown paste. Um, and I just mix it with a really palatable small amount of food, like a teaspoon of food. And I was shocked and amazed how much of a difference it made in my cat. So even if you think your cat is meowing more, um, yeah. <laughs> they're wandering the hall in the middle of the night, you want to make sure it's obviously not a medical problem like hypertension, but don't forget about cognitive dysfunction in both dogs and cats. So definitely an important talk. Um, yeah. Is there anything we can do for dogs with cognitive dysfunction? Well, definitely things like Senalife. I, I use that on my girl, Sam. She gets the big old pill <laughs> and that's huge. I like to start sooner than later with some of these things. And that's where, like you suggested, have make sure you go see your veterinarian and look at these mild changes that happen. They could just be staring at the wrong side of the door, right? So they, they can go to the door, but they're staring at the hinged side or something like that, because the sooner we catch it, the better we can do. So there's some really good food products out there by different manufacturers that I put all, I suggest all my pets to be on. So I definitely want to start there. Like you said, the center life, but, but protection is a really big thing and making sure that your house is, is maybe set up to not scare them. So I disabled my doorbell because that just set my dog off. So my dog now at 7.30 at night, she insists that I lay down beside her and pet her for two hours straight. And that's my life right now because that's just what calms her down. <laughs> and there's other, there's other good stuff I give her right before bed. <laughs> so that way we can all sleep, but like melatonin and some other things. So there's, there's like a couple of things in my toolbox. 
That's great. I will say again, just make sure there's no underlying medical problem yeah. while we recognize cognitive dysfunction more. Uh, my first dog that I ever had it as an adult JP was diagnosed with a brain tumor and it was abnormal, abnormal behavior that presented rather acutely that represented, you know, in the form sadly of a brain tumor. And I thankfully did stereotactic radiation therapy. I got 13 months with him. I was super, super happy, but that's one of the reasons why we veterinarians are such proponents of twice a year examinations. And a lot of people don't understand why, but again, the more you age as a human, the more frequently you have to go to the doctor for routine preventative care for other problems. And, you know, we both probably agree that age is not a disease, especially as we age. <laughs> we definitely see medical problems in, in older pets. Yeah. I'll be honest. I actually do blood work and, and uh, your analysis on my animals every three months because they're That's all, great. they're all older. And so I want to catch it as soon as possible. And, and another, another weird thing or not weird thing, but something that can bring on cognitive symptoms or irritate it more is urinary tract infections. And that happens in humans too. But I had a kitty cat too, two o'clock howler, Bodie. Oh boy. And he yeah. kept getting UTIs. And that's when I knew it was like, oh, he's starting to howl. Yeah. We always joke if you've ever had a Siamese, if your regular cat who's not a Siamese starts howling like a Siamese, something's wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> get to a vet when in doubt. I'll talk about this in a future episode with an oncologist, a veterinary expert in the field of oncology. But I'm also going to encourage you, especially if you're a golden retriever or a German shepherd or a Labrador retriever owner, there is actually a new blood test that's out at Texas A&M that tests for cancer and it tests for cancer within these cells. It's relatively benign. I believe the test is approximately $200 or 150, something like that. I have not personally tried it yet. There's still a lot of information that we're waiting for. And unfortunately it's not validated in cats, but maybe something that we wanna start thinking about. We'll continue with this really important topic right after these messages from our sponsors. Hi, this is Deborah Lau, president of Carnivore Research International. Did you know that people have used Carnivore for their pets successfully for a wide range of immune challenges for many decades? Here are Carnivore clients sharing their pet's testimonial. My cat had issues that developed in his eye, and six months later, they had to go ahead and scrape the eye. And three months later, the same ulcer came back on in the same eye. So my veterinarian said, you know what, let's go ahead and remove the eye. So that night, I heard the carnivore on advertising. So I said, you know what, I'm going to order this product. That way, at least I tried. They did the procedure. They did all the tests. To their surprise, they said, I don't know what you did, but I'll see you in two months. I, I kid you not. This product saved his eye. Call 866-836-8735. That's 866-836-8735. Or visit carnivore.com. That's C-A-R-N-I-V-O-R-A.com. Macmillan Audio presents When Harry Met Minnie, a memoir from Martha Teichner, CBS Sunday Morning News correspondent. More than just a boy dog meets girl dog fairy tale, what transpires is a deep and meaningful friendship between two women with complicated lives and a mutual love of bull terriers. Order When Harry Met Minnie today, wherever audiobooks are sold. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs>
back to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. I'm talking with Dr. Mary Gardner, and we're talking about our beloved geriatric pets. And when we see our dogs and cats aging, some of the common things that we need to do to make sure that their quality of life is good, whether or not it's putting down yoga mats, taking them in for twice a year, physical examinations, getting routine blood work on them, making sure that you're keeping the house safe so they don't accidentally take a tumble, especially as their vision or hearing is impaired. Now, what are some specific environmental changes that dog and cat owners can make in their house to make it easier for their older pet? Okay. So like I mentioned, the the yoga mats, I can't stress that enough or bath mats. Something that has been really useful for my dog, Sam, who's, who's got hind end weakness because she's got cancer in her spine. So she's become almost a paraplegic, not a paraplegic, but near there. She's, she's pretty weak. But when she's eating, I have her on it with a raised bowl, but I put a peanut ball underneath her, like those yoga balls, but they're a peanut shape and that just helps support her. So it has to be very specific to the pet. But if you need to protect them from going into a certain area of the house, we often think of baby gates, except for baby gates are, are kind of big and bulky and, and difficult to maneuver. I just like little shower rods or tension rods, like curtain rods that you put up on your, you know, for a curtain. And they're super $2 at Walmart, put just a couple in different doorways or in banisters so they don't go down a certain, you know, a certain path, if you will, especially with these cognitive uh, pets having lots of great toys to stimulate their brain. The worst thing we could do is keep them in a, in, on a bed in a corner somewhere and not play with them still and interact with them. And then also there's a lot of great products that we can put on our pets that are helpful, like different booties. And I have now since investigated every booty available. I love certain harnesses that could be really helpful to quickly grab your pet if they are falling. I like harnesses that actually stay on a pet, not just when I need them, I'll I'll toss this on because you need it at, at all crazy times. For our kitty cats, making sure that if they love the windowsill, that there's a big step in front of it, that way they can, you know, do a couple of jumps up to it, but can still get up to what they enjoy. And grooming is, is really important too. So making sure all their nails are trimmed well, their fur between their pads are trimmed. And again, for the kitty cats, low rise <laughs> kitty boxes. I love the boxes that go like the Rubbermaid boxes that go underneath your bed to put store sweaters in or whatever they're like sweater boxes, I guess they're called. I just use those, take off the little wheels sometimes and they're, they're low and big and the pet can get in there really easily because, you know, if you've ever had some aches or pains, try walking on a beach and you just can't. And so having these things available and then also quick and easy wipe ups for my dog, Sam, she's, she has some fecal incontinence and sometimes some urinary urine incontinence. And so I use baby mattress protector covers for all of my dog beds. So they've got baby mattress covers all over it. So I can quickly take it, change it, put it back down fresh and clean. So it's a lot of helping the caregivers care is really important because if any of your listeners know what it's like to take care of an aging pet, it's a full-time job. And that's what I'm doing right now for six months. It has been nonstop caring for my dog. And I've got baby wipe packs all over the place. I've got dry shampoo. I mean, it's hard, but boy, is it worth it. I totally agree. And I will say we're not endorsing these products directly, but I will say 
one of my favorites, at least in the veterinary clinic to help get pets up is a help them up harness. Yeah. That's almost got a handle, almost like some of these life jackets that you may see for dogs. Um, I also have a big Barker bed, which is an orthopedic bed with memory foam. That's really big. It's got a pillow that's inserted with it and it's totally waterproof also. Unfortunately, my toddler likes to use it more than my dog. <laughs> they are <laughs> pretty comfy. No, they're so comfortable. I'm going to take it camping next time for the, for the kids. Oh, bed. I love it. I will say that help them up harness. I yeah. mean, I, I'm with you. I don't want to promote one, but yes. that's my, that is yeah. my go-to. And I have two of them and it is, I've had one for, for every one of my pets with mobility issues and it's just the best for me and for them and just always have it on it. So yeah. Yeah, and the big beds are great. Yeah. And those help them up harnesses are really helpful, especially if you have a big dog. So like, you know, oh. we're, we're trying to lift these hundred pound dogs or these 80 pound dogs. So really, really helpful there. And getting them in the car too. Yeah, like, I can just to toss Sam right into the yes. car. <laughs> I hate to say or that, but ramp. it's easy. Yeah. yeah. The other thing is like with these wipes, well, I'll also recommend like one of those diaper warming things totally. that babies use just so that it's a warm wipe and the dry shampoos are amazing. I will also say sometimes in the emergency room, I have some owners who come in and they're ready to euthanize their dog, um, who you can tell is definitely very, what we call quote, gimpy, just limping along. And I'll say to them, oh, is your dog on a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory? They're like, oh no, but we're ready to euthanize. And I never want to second guess someone's decision. But as your pet ages, please know there are veterinary prescription pain medications and non-steroidal anti-inflammatories that really dramatically help reduce the inflammation, reduce that pain. And so I actually really try to encourage that and say, well, we can always try a course of twice a day NSAIDs for several weeks to see if that helps. And I've had some dogs really turn around. So when in doubt, please talk to your veterinarian. Uh, these are generally very safe. Um, they do need more blood work. They need blood work, you know, one to two weeks after you start it just to make sure their kidney and liver function is normal. But when in doubt, some of these dogs can be on it lifelong or for several years oh, yeah. um, as they age. Yes. Uh, sadly, I've done a survey and over 50% of pets that are euthanized in clinics in the United States, so not with lap of love in clinics, have not been to their veterinarian for over a year. So 50% of the pets that we're euthanizing have not had help. And let me tell you, it's not just the pet, it's the families. We can help them. And having your pet on a non-steroidal or, you know, some of these other great, wonderful drugs, that medications that we have, and also not some non-pharmaceutical options that we can give or teach yeah. them how to do massage and things like that. We could extend their life, but in a good way, not just quantity, but quality. Yeah, that's such a good recommendation. That leads me to my next point. So should a pet owner bring their old pet into the vet? A lot of people say, ah, it's too stressful for my old cat. But what more will a vet tell them than your pet's just old? Like, is there anything <laughs> else they can do? Right. And that's, listen, I might fear for that was when I get to a certain age, like what's, I'll get all crotchety. What's he going to tell me? <laughs> But there are so many options, especially nowadays, that we can do, not only um, medicine-wise, but just environmental in the house, like we've been talking about, or some non-pharmaceutical things. But the earlier we start them, the better options, you know, the, the better outcomes we'll have. And there's a study that's even just with rehab. I think it's, and now rehab may be a bigger, you know, thing to some people, like that's an expense, but can extend for over a year a pet's life, right? So also there might be things that are that you're dealing with that you don't realize is a problem, like like this cognitive dysfunction. And you might be, oh, he's just old and he's panting more. Oh my goodness, what if Center Life can just help that or something small that that helps you sleep, them sleep? So yeah, we're gonna tell you they're old. 
<laughs> but we're also going to tell you how they can live well old. Totally agree. There's so many things, again, that we as veterinary professionals can do. Please keep in mind, you should never, ever, ever give medications at home to your dog or cat without consulting a veterinarian or the ASPCA Animal Poison Control Center first, because even something as simple as one Tylenol can kill a cat. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we don't give over-the-counter medication or prescription medications to pets without consulting a veterinarian. We have veterinary-specific ones um, because a lot of these over-the-counter medications are toxic or poisonous. Now, the last question I wanted to ask you is, what is caregiver burden? Yeah, so I'm dealing with it now. I'll be honest with you. So it's there's a, a huge level of stress that happens to families that are caring for a terminally ill or very sick pet, a chronically sick pet or a chronically old pet, right? And it can actually lead to stress, depression, you know, anger in the, in the house, anger towards your pet, anger towards other, you know, human housemates, if you will. And I just want people to know that that's, it's an actual thing. And there's some support out there for you, but understanding that, that, um, that it's okay to be frustrated. Listen, do I like that last night I got four hours of sleep because Sam was up and, you know, and, and, and barking at me, or if she had fecal incontinence, like, no, it's, it's hard. The only blessing for me this past year is that I haven't been able to travel and I've been able to be home with her, but it's, it's hard. And then there's a lot of discussion in my house of when it's time and there's, you know, heaviness to that conversation. So it is definitely a, uh, something that happens in humans. And there's, there's also pet caregiver uh, burden that, that happens when we're dealing with our pets. And so just, you know, know that it could be frustrating. It doesn't mean you're a bad pet parent. It's not easy picking up poop and pee and cleaning up after these pets, right? And it's, we love them and we know that they're getting old and it's tough. Yeah. And I also, we'll talk about this more in a future episode, but I also wanted to reiterate when in doubt, talk to a veterinarian about your pet's quality of life. Um, there's three general questions I ask. One, is my pet in pain? Two, do they act like they used to when they were a puppy or kitten or even two to three years prior? And three, do they want to eat? We joke, quote unquote, in the veterinary world that if a Labrador stops eating, something serious is wrong, right? So, <laughs> so dogs true. like Labradors are so food motivated. When a young Labrador stops eating, there's usually something serious going on, like a foreign body, it needs surgery. Or for <laughs> an older Labrador who doesn't want to eat, and their quality of life is poor. So when in doubt, talk to your veterinarian about it. We will never judge you when it comes to the difficult decision of euthanasia. It's a very personal one that's complicated by previous experience, emotional factors, financial factors. Um, so please be aware that um, we're just looking out for your pet's quality of life and your quality of life. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Gardner. Fantastic information, especially as our pets age. Do you mind giving us information about where people can look up more information about you and Lap of Love? Oh, for sure. So our company is Lap of Love, L-A-P. O-F-L-O-V-E, lapoflove.com. And uh, my personal website is Dr. Mary Gardner. So I put out a lot of information um, also on social media about care, pet care, giver tips and things like that. So, so please check it out. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, that brings me to the end of today's show. Just wanted to give a huge shout out to Dr. Mary Gardner for being our guest today. 
You can also find me at drjustinelee.com on Facebook or Instagram at drjustinelee or email me your pet questions at drjustine at petliferadio.com. Dr. Gardner, thank you again so much. We really appreciate all the information. Thank you. We also wanted to give a huge shout out to Mark Winter, our producer, for making this show possible. We'll see you at the next episode. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.